0: Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. I'm Tim Wyatt, and today's show is going to be a little bit different from normal. Both me and my dad are on holiday this week, so we're going to be instead rebroadcasting an episode that we first recorded back in 2021. In the middle of what was our third lockdown in the UK, we discussed what seemed at the time like one of the most meaningful and lasting impacts of the pandemic on the church – the shift to streaming worship services online. At the time, the law did allow churches to reopen their doors for in-person worship, but most had continued to live-stream or pre-record their way through the pandemic. We were curious if this would become a standard part of every church's practice, even once Covid was behind us, and we wanted to consider what implications for our theology and worship the brave new world of online church might pose. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Uh, I'm Tim White, as always, here with my dad, John. How are you doing, John?
1: Yeah, it's good to be here. So um, normally what happens is that you interview me, but I thought we'd turn the tables a bit and I'd interview you, and particularly about some research you've been doing over the last few weeks. Um, Do you want to tell us a bit about that, what you've been up to?
0: Sure, yeah. Um, so I, I was commissioned uh, last month in January by Premier Christianity magazine, which, um, if you haven't heard of it, is probably the kind of leading evangelical magazine here in the UK. It comes out each month um, and they asked me to to do a big piece for them, their cover story for, for March. So it's going to be coming out very, very imminently, uh, which is basically marking 12 months since the Covid pandemic really hit us here in the UK in March 2020 last year. Uh, and the big theme was how how has the the pandemic changed the church?
1: So, how did you go about this research then? What did what what how did you you do it?
0: Well, it, as you can imagine, it's a it's an enormously broad question, and I only had uh, two and a half thousand words, um, so it was a challenge to try and narrow it down. So, what we decided to do was uh, to speak to a broad range of about. 10 or so church leaders um, across across the evangelical world so there were some bishops there were some ministers some theologians some kind of activists uh, commentators a real mixture of people and just ask them that simple question How has how has the church changed in the last 12 months and in particular what what changes do you think are actually going to last so beyond the kind of you know practical stuff of having hand sanitizer in the vestry Actually, how has the church changed in kind of fundamental ways that will persist beyond the end of the pandemic, which we all pray is coming at some point soon? Um, And what came out really clearly, the kind of common thread from those conversations I had over a week or two, was that the the biggest change, the first thing on everyone's lips, was this incredibly swift shift that we saw about twelve months just over twelve months ago of churches moving worship to to online means.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating because exactly parallel shift, of course, happened in the health services. I mean, for years, people have been saying, you know, we need to try and get GPs and uh, hospitals to be much more using all the online tools. But there was an enormous resistance to it. And then the pandemic strikes. And within a few days, GP practices across the country are all going online. And Mm -hmm. a similar thing happened with the churches is what you're saying.
0: Exactly the same, yeah. In fact some people said to me, I spoke to, to one vicar in Durham who actually used to work at, at kind of Church of England HQ in London and, and he led a, a pilot project project for a year back in I think twenty sixteen which um, tried to encourage churches to live stream their services on social media. And they would send them the equipment and give them the training. And they had a big kind of campaign to kind of publicize this. And it just kind of fizzled out, he said, you know, there just wasn't the interest. Churches couldn't be bothered. Uh, Not many people were logging in and it all just fizzled out. And yet suddenly, you know, within a matter of days back in last March, ministers and pastors and vicars up and down the country were having to very quickly uh, do something which, you know, could have taken 1015 years of kind of very, very gradual transition happened in a matter of days. Obviously, there were some churches that were live streaming services before this It's not like no one was doing it. But it was far, far from the norm, whereas now pretty much every church has at least dipped its toe in in some kind of digital broadcasting medium.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think what everybody has discovered, and of course, this is true for us as individuals as well, but as churches, is that actually the technology is easier to use than most people imagined. It it doesn't take a degree in electrical engineering or media studies to actually run an online service.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's really true. And I think, you know, one of, one of the other people I spoke to a bishop said, you know, if he had issued a directive to all the the vicars in his diocese and told them they had to start live streaming. there would be you know unbelievable uh, angst and and ructions and and people insisting that this was impossible and it was just you're asking too much but actually because the circumstances enforced people, uh, actually you discover you know all you really need is a smartphone to do it at a very basic level and even you know after a few months you can invest a few hundred pounds in some some high quality kit and it's actually remarkably uh, there's a remarkably low barrier to entry i think we've come you know we said this in a previous podcast the pandemic came at an opportune moment you know if this had happened even 10 years earlier some of the the frictionless kind of technology uh that we've been using things like zoom for office meetings but also you know live streaming on youtube or instagram or facebook just wasn't there and so i think there's really people have discovered actually what what feels like a massive burden or a huge extra imposition on a sunday is actually much more achievable than they thought
1: Yeah. And, you know, taking the long view, this is a really fascinating uh, aspect of all this, you know, because, it, again, we have talked about this previously, but many church historians looking over the centuries uh, have pointed out how technology, advances in technology, have played such a significant part in, in the way that Christian history has developed. And, of course, the, the obvious example is the, is the relationship between the invention of printing – the printing press and so on, and the Reformation, and the ability to get um, Bibles in the vernacular uh, uh, in large quantities and, and and at a very cheap price uh, distributed, and 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 people have pointed to the sovereignty of God and saying, you know, this was this was all you can see uh, providential working here, and I'm pretty sure that future church historians will look back at 2020. And say similar things that that the there was a providential um, availability of digital technology and of global internet of twenty four seven smart yeah accessibility smartphones um, and, and so on and um, and and the church was able to use this in a way that simply wouldn't been inconceivable uh, ten or twenty years ago.
0: I think that's absolutely right and I think what is really fascinating is what comes out of these conversations I was having with church leaders in particular was that every single one of them had some kind of story to tell of not just managing to make the transition online but actually seeing um, people start to engage with the, the church's worship through the internet people who were never part of the original congregation before the pandemic hit you know there was one survey I, I looked at in um it was run by the Evangelical Alliance, where they polled about a thousand church leaders, and ninety percent of those church leaders said at least some new people had started attending as a result of the move—the move to online worship. And there's has been a I sort of run through a few other figures um, briefly. There's been quite a lot of surveys around asking people, kind of professional pollsters, asking people, "Have you taken part in online worship?" Um, and Summing them up, in there's one in September uh, that basically said if if you look at the original uh, kind of church-going population of the UK was roughly four million people would engage with some kind of church worship on a on a Sunday pre-COVID. A survey in September said that if you add up all the people who said they were taking part in both physical and online, it had now gone up to about 15 and a half million people. You know, so more than three times, almost four times the number. and, in, and if you dig down into some of the some of the splits, it's e- the breakdowns, it's even more remarkable. There was a, a ComRes poll in, in July and August, which was asking people about various things. You know, have you been praying during the pandemic? Have you read the Bible? But it also asked, have you uh, attended a, any kind of online service? And in the 18 to 24 bracket, 45% of people said yes. 45% of people said in the months of July or August that they had attended some kind of online worship which is and as everyone knows you were not seeing 45 percent of young people 18 to 25 turn up at church pre-covid so this is something remarkable seems to be happening it is it's
1: staggering and it, it makes you wonder can it possibly be true um but it if it if it is true or even even approximately true um it raises the immediate question why you know why should it be that particularly that age group should should turn to uh, presumably this is Christian services or is it all religious? Um, some, some of services. those polls,
0: so the the, the comrades national polls were just didn't specify a faith. they just said some kind of religious worship. So that would have also included some people you know going to mosques online or synagogues online. though my understanding is that actually for different reasons, um, you know, a lot of Jews abstain from electricity and and technology on Sabbath, which makes it tricky, and and also uh, Islamic prayers in many traditions can only be done uh, communally, so they haven't jumped online as much as churches have. But yes, it would have included some non-Christian worship as well.
1: But assuming that the large majority were people in the UK turning to Christian um, services of some kind, it. It, it is a completely extraordinary thing, isn't it? And and I suppose if one tries to unpick it, um, maybe a lot of it is just a sort of a sense of loss of all the familiar moorings, um, some kind of existential threat, uh, anxiety about what the future will hold, uh, and maybe a stripping away of, of many of the normal comfortable props of that young people might have, uh, but I wonder whether another issue is is that it's it's possible online to go to uh, to sample a religious service in a completely confidential and shame-free manner, isn't it? It's um, and it it you wonder whether partly this reflects how much shame there must have been inhibiting people from daring to go physically to a church you know, to a, in admitting an interest and yet I, I can I can go online without anybody knowing
0: Yeah, I think that actually has to be a massive part of it you know in the kind of business jargon it would be about reducing barriers to entry you know to, to previously to, if I was a non-Christian and I was curious about church to kind of see what it was like if I'd never been to one before I would have to find a church that was you know a local church that I could travel to find out what time their service was and then physically leave my home and go there and walk in the door having no idea what to expect was I wearing the right thing will I be accosted by strangers will I be expected to to sing songs or to pray prayers in strange language And understandably, if you haven't grown up in the tradition, it can be quite intimidating. I mean, even I, as a Christian, have sometimes found attending a brand new church for the first time a little intimidating, a little nerve-wracking, because you just don't know what to expect. Whereas there's something about the comforting anonymity of just watching a live service online, is that no one knows who you are, you don't have to leave your home, you don't have to um, make any kind of commitment you're not visible to those, you know, to the weirdos who were already part of this church, you can just literally dip your toe in and and see what it is. And I think that has radically opened up church to a whole, there clearly was a whole subset of people in Britain who were curious, but just never curious enough to take that plunge to actually physically attend before.
1: I think one of the other interesting things uh, you mentioned to me was to do with the geography, that it was possible for people to, to start attending churches which they were were geographically distant.
0: Mm, that's right. Yeah, I heard several stories from from vicars who had, you know, not only were they seeing people in their own parish or their own town who weren't part of the congregation but were logging in, but they were also coming across people from, from potentially hundreds of miles away, maybe even from other countries. Who had stumbled across their stream on Instagram or on YouTube or on their website, and and were taking part despite you know having no possibility of ever attending in person. There was one vicar in Durham I spoke to who said that for for almost the entire pandemic, they'd had a faithful group of people from Chichester, you know, which I don't know how many hundreds of miles that is away, but it's pretty far. Who had been who had been logging in because in the first few weeks of of the pandemic, their own local church. Um, had failed to kind of pull their finger out and put something online. And so they just started looking around, stumbled across the church in Durham and have enjoyed it so much they've carried on nine, ten months later. There was, I've heard other things of, you know, alpha courses have also gone online. So it's not just Sunday worship, but midweek community groups and and other stuff like that. With huge success, you know, I've heard of a, a church leader in the south coast of England who had someone attend their alpha course for the full eight weeks coming from North Wales. Who had some kind of personal connection a friend of a friend had put them onto them you know and so i think it's, it's a radical detachment of the church's mission which has so often been been attached to your geographical boundaries you know you're ministering to the people in this postcode or in this city or in this town suddenly you can minister to anyone who speaks english and has an internet connection
1: which means you potentially have two billion people <laughs> <laughs> And your constituency. Yeah. And it's also interesting. So it's not just the geographical barriers that are broken. It's also the time barriers, isn't it? So so you get this extraordinary thing about time shifting that whereas before, you know, if you wanted to, to go to a church service, then you had to work out what time it was and make sure you got there on time and all the rest. Now, uh, in many cases, I can decide, well, I really don't want to sort of go on at eleven thirty but i i could go later on in the evening and and uh and go online and watch and watch a service which is on youtube or something like that
0: mmm I think there's two things to say on that the first one is the the really interesting comparison with the television industry which as we're all aware you know historically it was when there was a few channels and they went out live and that was it you you kind of had it was called a kind of appointment television and you know you would have 15 20 25 million people in the country all sitting down and consuming the same hour of content at the same time and and the, and the growth of the eye of iPlayer of Netflix of these on-demand services has basically obliterated Created that model, with then part from things like live sport, it's all become entirely fragmented, and now people consume television the way they want. And you're seeing absolutely the same thing happen with church. Whereas before, you know, if you wanted to attend uh worship, to to sing some songs and hear a sermon, you had to turn up. It was only going to happen once, it was only going to happen live. Whereas now, as you say, there's there's a completely shift where if you know it's just gonna be put on YouTube at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but you don't feel like getting up until midday, it's still gonna be there on YouTube. It'll still be there on Monday if you don't feel like it at all on Sunday. And the second thing to say about that is what is really interesting is, it's an example of how the choice of technology, a choice that some you know churches made on the hoof on the 24th of March last year, all of a sudden, You know, whether you use pre recorded videos and upload them to YouTube, or whether you live stream through Facebook Live, or whether you do, like my church does, you do Zoom meetings, Um, all of that affects how people will consume it. You know, so for example, if you're a church that does Zoom, you can't time shift because it only happens once as live. And also, you can't log in anonymously. You know, you can only log in if you know someone who gives you the right URL link. So you already have a connection to church. And once you log in, everyone can see your little picture in the mosaic of of thumbnails. You can't do that anonymous thing. So it's a really interesting example of how we just think about online church, but actually online church encompasses this huge different range of technologies, which all have really significant consequences for for how church unfolds online.
1: And as so often it turns out that technology has all kinds of unanticipated consequences and effects. and again one can find many 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 illustrations of that in the, in the history of technology So I suppose just thinking what what in terms of your findings what did you find out about negative Consequences. What what did people express to you about negative factors?
0: Mm. Yeah, there were there were some concerns. I think it's, it's worth saying overall, people were on the whole quite positive about this online shift, um, but there definitely were concerns. So, some of the things that came up were there was a fear that you would see a gradual sucking away of of worshippers from their smaller local churches towards big. Um, Kind of mega churches, your HTBs of the world, that kind of thing, because they can offer a really high quality production values. They've got very tech savvy. They've got great kind of like internationally famous worship leaders and preachers. And if you know, it's a question of which URL do you click, even if you're no way near West London and you can you can live stream HTB. Um, there was a fear that that if churches continue with this online model um that you will gradually see that bigger churches getting bigger and smaller churches getting smaller because they just can't compete as it were so that was certainly yeah, just, one thing
1: yeah just to say that htb is holy trinity brompton for people who don't know and it's the home of the alpha course very well known internationally
0: yes one, one of the largest if not the largest churches in the church of england um and yeah and already internationally famous but now oh so much more accessible than it ever was um so uh, it's
1: interesting isn't it i wonder if this is a, like a google phenomenon it's what they call the network effect that um in the digital world the bigger you are the more influence you have and therefore the bigger you get it becomes a, it feeds on itself uh, and i wonder whether a few brands of of uh, internationally known churches and internationally known christian speakers will increasingly become dominant just as Google and Facebook and Twitter have become dominant in their sphere. Hmm.
0: I think that's a really interesting idea and you saw that trend was already happening, you know, for so many churches, particularly larger ones, have been turning their sermons into podcasts, you know, recording them and putting them out available for anyone to listen after service and it's very common, isn't it, for Christians particularly, I think Christians of my generation, to be listening to sermon series um, from other church leaders around the world often in America um, and I guess that will only continue when it's not just a sermon you can listen to but the entire worship service and so I think what not only will you see some people decide to give up on their small local slightly uh, crummy uh, online church for the big one but I think you'll see kind of two-timing where people will say well of course I'll still go to my local church online but why wouldn't I also uh, take part in in HDb's big service or maybe even someone something even whizzier and more fancy from America um when and then you know then people have questions around what does that do to the idea of kind of fellowship and community and you know living within a Christian family under the authority of a church leader if you're just kind of dipping your toe in consuming different worship different preaching different other things from from various different churches rather than committing to one one body
1: yeah so I think if you just take this theme of consumerism, I mean, I think there was obviously a lot of concern about this already in, in the history of churches in that there was always a a consumerist element in the way that people would select a church, you know, that I I want a church that's good at this and has these particular kind of people. And, and so uh, Christians would go around uh, checking out churches until they decide which is the one they like best. And, and, Maybe one of the effects of the pandemic is just to massively increase that consumerist approach, uh, and it's almost like uh, just like supermarkets and other businesses have a have a, a marketing offer. You know, and Sainsbury's has a particular offer, and Tesco's has a different offer, and and consu- and, and business people and marketing people talk about you know comparing the different offers and so on and perhaps there's something like that That churches now will have a sort of online offer and and how does the holy trinity brompton offer compare with a church another church and a different kind of churchmanship and so on and um it it it, it does emphasize this it puts the power in the consumer you know that so so within consumerism you know the 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 um, The litany that is always repeated is the customer is always right. Whatever the custom the customer is king, the customer calls the shots. and is that the kind of Christianity which is which is being developed where where the customer is king and is able effectively to call the shots and say, this is what I like
0: and this is what I don't like? I think you're absolutely right. What we've created unintentionally is effectively a marketplace of churches you know, before you would maybe have three, four in a large city, five or six, ten churches that you could access if you wanted to. And so you were effectively choosing between them when you're deciding, you know, where to, to make your home. Whereas today, people now have access to an almost uncountable number of churches online and that means that they are literally comparing and contrasting well how does you know st peter's down the road compare with faith church around there and they've also got to compete with hdb and also redeemer new york and all these other churches and so the inevitable consequence of that is that church leaders will suddenly start to think hang on are we what are we doing on sundays what does our website look like how what quality is our worship are we praying the right things are we tackling the fashionable topics are we promoting the right books because we've got to now vigorously compete to retain our kind of customer a customer base which is a completely different way of approaching church as you said from from i would argue maybe how the bible understands church which is just you know the christian believers in corinth were the church in corinth and that was that
1: Yeah, well, we probably need to start wrapping up, but just uh, let's look briefly at the future. I mean, maybe we'll come back and and look at some of these trends again and and reflect more about it from a philosophical and theological point of view. But in terms of your research, what what did people say to you about the future?
0: What came through very clearly, like I said, was that people felt that the online experiment had been enough of a success that it was going to continue even when there was no... Um, kind of COVID need for it. So, in the future, God willing, the pandemic comes to an end, and and there is no kind of physical uh, limit on people who can go to church. No social distancing. Most church leaders, the vast majority, said they expected to continue live streaming or doing some kind of digital church alongside. It's, we could talk about it as the kind of hybrid model you know, we're not going to abandon meeting in person, of course, but there will always also be an alternative to, to consume the service online as well as coming in person. That, that was a very strong sense of which that's the future of the British church.
1: And, and certainly positively, you can see that there were a whole lot of individuals who were effectively disenfranchised from going to church, weren't they? People with, with disabilities, people with young children, people who couldn't travel... The very elderly, people with particular diseases, whatever, and all those kind of people have become enfranchised in a way on digital, and 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 hopefully that will continue. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I, I'm sure you're right. I'm uh, that hybrid v- uh, services and so on will become commonplace in the future, but interestingly, they will create all kinds of new problems weren't they I mean partly to run a hybrid service is is much more demanding than doing one or the other because you've both got to worry about what's actually happening physically and making sure that people are are cared for and all the the needs of people physically there and at the same time you've got to have running alongside it all the online resources uh, to make sure that the the Right cameras that are on use and the right you know and if you want to have an interaction between the online people and the the embodied people then you've got to have screens so people can see one another and it it all becomes extraordinarily complex I mean you know our modern day church is going to be like a bit like being part in a studio uh, where you have lights and you have screens and you have you know two-way communication going on
0: Hmm. This is a, a real a really important question. Um, you know one of the things that came up again and again was this phrase that, that the medium is the message um, which is a kind of iconic I think it comes from advertising originally a kind of iconic kind of business phrase and basically means how you say something is as important if not more important than what you say. Uh, and I think it's sorry, actually
1: a theorist Marshall McLuhan was a um, philosopher theorist of communication i think it's his phrase originally
0: but um well he certainly popularized it but yeah yeah Um, and and so if you're if if you're broadcasting church online then that will unavoidably begin to shape not just how you broadcast but what you actually broadcast you know and people have found that you know you cannot just replicate a physical church service and put it online you know people's attention spans um drift they don't want to listen to a half an hour sermon online or you know worship like sung worship is very difficult to achieve on zoom for example and so people are already shaping what the content of the service is and if that and if if this hybrid model is the future then basically there is a there's a concern that church becomes a kind of broadcastable package of content which rather than a kind of family of christians gathering together to to worship and and disciple each other
1: yeah, and I th- we'll have to call it a day shortly. But I, I just want to just briefly reflect on on this theme of embodiment, and how in Christian thinking, our human embodiment is absolutely central to to our our human nature. But of, but it's also it is that that God reaches out to us in the person of an embodied Christ. A uh, it, it's through our bodies that we see Christ I mean the New Testament uh, think of the Apostle John who says that which we've seen and touched and heard is what we proclaim to you and and so being able to see and touch and hear with our bodies is, is a very important part of of Christian community and, and of course it's encapsulated above all in the Holy Communion because in its very essence it's impossible to engage in the communion in a digital sense it only makes any sense if you are there ultimately sharing in the bread and the wine as a as an act of uh, a corporate act of community and communion so um i don't think and 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 this of course is one of the the sense in which the digital world is is always going to be, in some sense, a sham. It's all well, not a sham, it's going to be only a partial form of community that that ultimately, and then the Christian understanding of community involves communion, involves that physical uh, interaction together.
0: Hmm. And this was the, the one person I think in, who you know, I spoke to who was most critical or most reluctant to kind of celebrate online. That was, that was his exact re- rationale. It was that online church is fine, but it's not true church in a, in a deepest sense, because true church has to involve a physical presence. Primarily, he would understand it through the sacraments. You know, you can't share bread and wine through Zoom with your, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, he went as far as suggesting it's almost an accidental kind of Gnosticisation, um, which is this kind of ancient heresy, which uh, the Gnosticism from the first, second centuries, which would kind of understood as this kind of spiritual, non-corporeal things of the world are the, are the true things. And we should be trying to escape our bodies and our kind of fleshly nature. And it's always been understood by Christians as a heresy, you know, that we're made to be these holistic beings and that God made us with bodies, like you said, the bodies are good and we're supposed to use them uh, and dwell within them in embodiment with with our other brothers and sisters as part of a Christian community.
1: Yeah, so these are deep and rich themes and it's fascinating, isn't it, how um, digital technology uh, is raising some of those very deep questions about what it means to be human uh, in in new and unexpected ways, and and no doubt um, we will, and, and uh, all Christian people will be wrestling with these issues over the s- subsequent months and years to come. And um, I'm sure we'll come back to it in, in future podcasts. But uh, I think for now, maybe uh, it's best to, to call it a call it to a whole
0: Yeah, I agree. Thanks, John. It's been a great discussion. Looking forward to speak to you next time.
1: Thanks a lot.